are in week two of our new series called The Gathering. Last week was a little intense, some, some because of the content and some because I'm a little dangerous when I come back off of a trip like I was on in Pakistan and I can be a little bit, I'm probably still a little bit that way, but I'll be all right. Yeah, you like that, okay. <laughs> but either way, uh, it's an, it was an important message and this is a very important series for our church. And so if you missed last week, if you're a guest or if you just weren't here last week, go to newlifecanton.com forward slash sermons, click on that, and be sure to listen to that or get on the app and listen to that. Now, for the benefit of those who weren't here, I need to review one foundational piece of information and you're not going to be able to track with the rest of what we're talking about. The majority of your English New Testament, the majority of your English New Testament is a direct word-for-word translation from Greek, the original language, along around the 14 or 1500s, okay? So, you know, five, six hundred years ago, this happened. Except for one word, and it's a big one, church. It's not a translation. It's a substitution. Say that word, substitution. And unfortunately, it wasn't a very good one. Uh, The term church, we've gotten very used to it because it means house of the Lord. It means temple. It's a religious word used by very religious people at the time who saw the word that Jesus used and were like, surely he didn't mean that. So we're going to substitute this other word that makes more sense to us. And here we are. But Jesus actually used a Greek word, ekklesia, which is not a religious term at all. It does not mean church. It does not mean house of the Lord. And it certainly does not mean temple. As a matter of fact, temple was the last thing Jesus wanted them thinking because the temple in Jerusalem represented the epicenter of Judaism, which was the Old Covenant, or in your Bible, the Old Testament, the law. Jesus came not to do away with that, but to fulfill it, to put a period on it, and to bring about something brand new in the new covenant or the new testament written in his blood the last thing people wanted jesus wanted them thinking was temple jesus wanted to bring a complete change to the mindset of his followers he didn't want them thinking i'm going to church he wanted them thinking i am the church When Jesus said, I will build my church, he wasn't talking about a place. He was talking about a people. The word used for church was a religious word, the one that we we have in our Bibles, but Jesus used ecclesia. Look at the screen. Ecclesia was a secular term used to describe a gathering of people for a specific purpose, a movement of people. Father, Will you bless your word today? Get me out of the way. I pray that you would speak in your word and let it become prophetic into our heart and let it be life-changing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Last week, I admitted up front that I wasn't sure what a true New Testament gathering should even look like in our modern culture. 
Now, I've seen it all around the world. I've seen glimpses of it as I travel all around the world doing missions work. But those are very different cultures, very different places, full of very different kinds of people that think very differently than we do. There's there's two prevailing trains of thought or worldviews in our world, collective and individualistic. Most third world, all third world countries, which is a lot of the places that I visit and we do mission work, are collective in thought. People, it's rare to go into a home where there's not three and maybe sometimes even four generations living under the same roof. The people think as a group. They help each other. The churches there operate together and work together and they have to to survive. They don't think, and it's not that way with us. Come on. In the Western world, in Europe, in in Canada, in the United States especially, we don't think that way. We are taught, basically, when we come out to think individually, to think and claw our way to the top individually. And, hey, we enjoy a lot of the, 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 the comfort things that we have because of that capitalistic type thinking. I'm not preaching against that. The problem is the New Testament church and everything that we have was written to a collective culture. People who thought as a group, villages who thought as a group, churches that thought and took care of each other as a group that shared everything. They weren't forced to, they did it voluntarily. That's the difference between communism and what I'm talking about or socialism and what I'm talking about. They weren't forced to do it. They did it because they loved each other in Christ. And so we have a disconnect when we read the New Testament. We have a problem. Think about this. If we are off mission just a few degrees... It's hard to notice at first, isn't it? Because, I mean, you're just talking about, you know, a little turn right there. It's hard to notice at first, but if you keep going down the road, you've missed it by a mile. We've missed our mission and target by a mile. What I'm trying to say is I think that's what's happened in the American church. I came across an article called The One Degree Mistake. Say that with me. The One Degree Mistake. It was talking about the importance of precision when flying an airplane. How many would agree it's important to be precise while piloting an airplane? I would definitely agree, especially when I'm on one. (laughs) Listen to the statistics about flying just one degree. One degree, not a bunch. One degree off course. For every degree you fly off course, you will miss your target by 92 feet for every mile that you fly. Every mile, think about home base to first base, roughly, okay? That, that distance you have missed by missing the flying one degree. Now, what does that mean? For every 60 miles you fly, you will miss your target by one mile. Now, nobody flies 60 miles. That would be stupid. You could get to your destination way before you could fly there in our situation. It takes that long to get to the airport and then think about the security and think about waiting on. Nobody flies 60 miles, so no big deal there. But if you did what I did last week and flew around the world, 
Look at the screen. Flying around the equator will land you almost 500 miles off target. And I guarantee if I had landed after flying for 20 hours, if I had landed in Indianapolis instead of Atlanta, I would have been an unhappy camper. It gets serious then. So here's the question for us. As a church, what is our tolerance for being off course? Now, I could get real personal. And I could ask the question like this. What is your tolerance for your life being off course? Now, relax. That's a sermon for another day. We're being collective today. Sometimes that's good. But are we okay with a one-degree mistake? Are we okay with close, but not quite? Well, here's the deal. And this is not judgmental. This is just the way it is. Most churches, most churches in America are and have been so long that we don't even know the difference. For an airplane to hit its target, it requires sophisticated computer systems and a good pilot that can constantly evaluate incoming information and then make the necessary corrections to keep the plane on course. Well, the New Testament has given us all of the coordinates we need. We just tend to ignore them most of the time. We tend to pick and choose the ones that we like God can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Woo, glory. We, we tend to pick and choose the ones that we like and leave the other ones alone that we don't. That verse was for another time, Brother Allen. That doesn't apply to us. I don't know who that, that person is. I'm sorry. I have no idea. But as the, the country Holy Spirit, right? But as the, the listen, as, listen, as the pilot, we're still in the metaphor, okay? As the pilot of this particular airplane, I'm not good with the way it's going, and I, I think we need a course correction. And that's what this series is all about. And I believe we start our realignment process by rediscovering some things that are already there. I didn't think about this just till just now. The Holy Spirit, I hope, is the one who just gave me. But think about Josiah. Think about Josiah. He was an Old Testament king. He became king when he was eight years old, and the, the people were far from God. The scripture was already written. They had forgotten it. And he rediscovered it when he found it in the temple. We need to rediscover some things that have already been written, that have been already proclaimed. And I think a good place to start is remembering what is sacred. Remembering what is sacred. Years ago, I was the worship pastor at a large church, kind of a high church. And what I mean by that, big sanctuary, ornate, huge choir loft. Are you there with me? Huge choir loft, orchestra pit. Come on. I was something. Think, think, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Think First Baptist Woodstock. Have you been in there? It wasn't there, but, all right, this sanctuary wasn't quite that big because that's nobody's sanctuary is that big except theirs. But think that direction. Okay, so we were getting ready, having a choir rehearsal and an orchestra rehearsal for a big event. I think it was either Christmas or Easter. 
So we had hired in some musicians for this big event. We were rehearsing. It was a big deal. And one of these guys was a friend of mine, and he was single at the time, and he would travel with his dog. He would bring his dog, and he would find motels that were pet-friendly. I didn't know they had those, but they do. And he hated to leave the dog in the motel the whole week, you know, the whole time. And so on the rehearsal night, he brought the dog. Probably not a great idea. He brought the dog to the church, not into the sanctuary, but left the dog in the choir room. Anybody ever been in a choir? We had a choir room. And so we had, he left the dog with water in the choir room, closed the door. We were in our rehearsal. We were going, you know, strong, everything going great. In between one of the songs, suddenly I, I had my back to the sanctuary. Some people started giggling. They were like fifth graders. I mean, they were, I was like, I looked around and here come the dog. Somebody had let, open the door and here come the dog in the sanctuary. So my friend jumps up. He's, he's going to go take care of it. And as he's getting up, a woman stood up and let him have it. I mean, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about she ripped him. I mean, tore him to pieces in front of everyone. And as he was stumbling over instruments and trying to get to the, he, he just got smaller and smaller and smaller. I mean, it was unbelievable. I couldn't even talk. I was like, we just need to go on with the next song. I mean, it was unbelievable. Believable. We need, we need to respect the things that we use for God. Amen? His choice probably wasn't the best in the world to bring the dog. And we should certainly be good stewards of things we use for the Lord. But I'm going to give you a big, big takeaway right here. The place is not sacred. The person is. This well-meaning woman got it exactly wrong. I mean, not a little bit, exactly wrong. She flipped it on its head because of this mentality. Remember what I said last week. Jesus predicted a people, not a place. In Matthew 16, he said, I will build my church. I will build my gathering. I will build my people. I will build my movement. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He wasn't talking about bricks and mortar. He was talking about you and he was talking about me. The place is not sacred. The person is. In the Old Testament, things. Everybody say things. In the Old Testament, things were sacred. And people got struck dead for doing the wrong thing with things. If you rushed into the Holy of Holies where God was, you dead. If you touched the ark, just asked Uzzah, he dead. If you touched the mountain of God while he was there, it's fun, isn't it? But Jesus came to fulfill the law because nobody else could. Jesus came not to continue the old, but to make all things new. Here's why. Jesus came because ultimately it wasn't things that God was trying to save. It wasn't things that God wanted to redeem. And it wasn't things that God was wanting to make sacred. It was people. Now give him a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Just so we're on the same page, something sacred belong solely to God. I'm about to prove to you from the New Testament that it's very clear in the word that the most sacred thing on this planet right now is the gathering, the body 
of Christ. Now listen, and if the body of Christ is God's most sacred expression on the planet, and we belong to that body, track with me now, that means that you and I belong to God. I want you to, I think some of you are getting it. I want want to say it one more time in a different way. I want this to rest in your spirit. I want you to feel the full implication of this. We belong to God, and that means we are sacred. We, wait, you are sacred to God. Now, if that's true, and it is, that means that we should see each other as. Uh oh. <laughs> Pastor, you mean that person who voted different from me last Tuesday is just as sacred to you? I'll go one further than that. That means how you treat that person who voted differently than you last week is more important than who you voted for last week. I know that was only about half of you, but you, you proved me different. You proved me wrong. Pastor, he's up. You know I can't do that, but it's all in love. Smile. Listen to what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 3, if anyone destroys God's temple, say temple, God will destroy that person. Is he talking about a building? The temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in A.D. 70 by Rome. Is he talking about a building? Is he talking about Rome being destroyed? Let's read the whole verse. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred. Somebody say sacred. And you together are that temple. Hallelujah. Is there anything unclear about that? Is there anything ambiguous about that scripture? Does it have anything in there about race or title or language or bank account status or political affiliation? I think this is awesome news, personally. But it's also fearful news. It's news that we should think about and respect because if we belong to God, if we in fact are sacred to God, that means when we gossip or harm or damage another person with our behavior or with our words or with our deeds, it's like taking a wrecking ball to the house of God. All right, all right, all right. That means when we damage our own body. With all sorts of things, including that poisonous food that we put in our bodies that are not good for us. Like I had to eat all day yesterday because I was on the move all day yesterday. You can't eat healthy fast. (laughs) And I know there's times you got to do what you got to do, but if you make that a habit, it's poison. It is. Or what about things that we watch that we shouldn't watch? Or go places we go we shouldn't go? Or things we listen to that we shouldn't listen to? Addictions that need to be taken care of in our life. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you realize that your body, say body, 
is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. See, we just don't get that. We don't like that here. That rubs us the wrong way. For God bought you. Another word is redeemed you with a high, what was the high price? The sacrifice of Christ on the cross. The torture that he went through. So you must honor God with your body. As followers of Jesus, as sons and daughters of the king, you do not belong to yourself. You belong to God. You are sacred. You are sacred. Uh, so, Pastor, um, is there an opt-out for this thing? Or uh, can we still go to heaven and not be sacred? Is, uh, it sounded good at first, but there's like, it sounds like a lot of responsibility with this thing. Yep. Everybody do that. Yep. Oh, you got to do the P. Yep. There you go. It's fun. Come on, we can, we can, we, we got to do this. Thing. All right. Ephesians 5, 29. After all, no one ever hated his own body. But they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members, say members, of his body. Now listen, when one part of your body is wounded, you don't want to make it worse. You don't want to wound it more. You take care of it. You protect it. You bandage it. You begin the healing process. So when someone in our body is hurting, we should reach out to help them. When one person in our body falls or fails or messed up, we don't kick them while we're down. We begin to help them. We begin to heal them. We reach out to them because they are sacred to God and they are part of us. Come on, somebody. That's why there are 59 one another's in the New Testament. 59 one another's. Jesus began it, and then Peter, James, John, and Paul, they all got in on the action. They said, love one another nine times. Be at peace with one another. Wash one another's feet. So the ushers are coming now with water basins, and we're going (laughs) to... We can ease into that one. (laughs) Anyway, all right. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Maybe I should read that one again after last week. (laughs) Accept one another. And Paul adds on there, I love this, as Christ first accepted you. Ooh. Instruct one another, greet one another, have concern for one another, serve one another, carry one another, be patient with one another. (laughs) Be kind to one another, forgive one another. How are you liking this list so far? You're going to love this one. Submit to one another. Consider one another better than yourself. Bear with one another. It's another way of saying be patient. Encourage one another. Oh, my goodness. If we only pull one off of this list, and we better pull more than that, four or five times they talk about encouraging one another. How powerful will it, would it be if we were just to encourage each other instead of tear each other down? Come on. <laughs> Confess your sins to one another. I'll move quickly. 
pray for one another. That's novel. Offer hospitality to one another. And then Peter adds, without grumbling. (laughs) Kathy, no comment from you. A small group in my house. I don't know. The kids are ruining this. Come on. Without grumbling. I wasn't talking about her small group, ladies, okay? That's not what I was talking about. I knew what you were thinking. The last one is be humble toward one another. Still want to be sacred? Of course you do. Come on, of course you do. Because imagine something with me. Imagine a gathering of people who were doing these things on a regular basis. Can you imagine a gathering of people who were treating each other like this? How many, show of hands, how many would want to be like, I'm a there? Come on, I'm there. Now listen, I'm not saying that we're not like some of those things, but we, we're not there yet. I've seen glimpses. Come on. I know we are. I've seen glimpses of New Testament mystery and mission and love and people taking care of one another and not just waiting on the pastor or the staff to do it. Come on. I've seen it. I've seen glimpses. We're just not there. There's still some corrections. There's still some, some things that we need to do. I'm not saying that we're the opposite of this. Especially like last week and all those political posts. I I, I read them. I'm like Santa Claus. Some of you ain't get nothing. Come on. (laughs) I see it. All right, I'll get off of that. I'll get off of that. As sons and daughters of God, we are temples of his Holy Spirit. And we are sacred to him. But listen, everybody look at me. We've also been called to sacred living. That's another way of saying holy living. That's not how we get saved, because we can't save ourselves. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But we are called to stand out in a good way. (laughs) We stand out sometimes, but it's in a bad way. We've got some work to do, don't we? I know I do. But you know what? It's going to be worth it. If we become a gathering that fully demonstrates that list of one another's, can you imagine how attractive that will be to the world? We wouldn't be able to have enough services for all the people. Can you imagine how attractive that will be to the hurting and the lost and the hopeless? To find a group of people who are as worried about my back. They're not as worried about my background and my mistakes and my political affiliation or the junk that I bring to the table. What they're really worried about is my soul. Wait, wait, a gathering of people who will simply embrace me right where I am without judgment, slowly walking me through instruction and healing, doing all those things without cramming the gospel into my mouth, down my throat when I'm not ready for it, ready to do whatever it takes to walk alongside me and earn the right to speak into my life. Now that's the gathering that I'm talking about. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel you, Lord. I'm finished, but listen. Seriously, I'm not playing games. How many would love that adjustment? 
to our house. Listen, it's not, we're not going to get there unless we embrace the big idea, which is you are sacred to God. You, you. Because if you don't see yourself as sacred, how are you going to see other people that way? It all begins with your understanding, and not just in your head, but in your heart, of who you are in Christ. JR, you're sacred. My beautiful wife is sacred. It's her birthday today. (laughs) Dallas, you're sacred to God. Teenagers, as loud and rambunctious as you are, you are sacred to God. Okay, all right. You stir the pot, they go. You're sacred. You're sacred to God, Shannon. Sir, you're sacred to God. You hear me? Roxy, good to see you. You are sacred to God. You're sacred. Now, I don't know about you, brother. (laughs) I'm just kidding. You're sacred. You're sacred. Mark, you're sacred to God. Brother, you're sacred. You hear me? Yvette, you're sacred. You're sacred to God. You're sacred. We've got to change the way we think and the way we act according to what we've been told. We are sacred to God. We belong, David, to God with all of our faults and our failures and our mess-ups and our history, we belong to the King. And He is making all things new. And He is making something beautiful out of our lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you bow your heads, please?